probably better turn this on, which sometimes I'm not likely to do. I do have it on now, and we've been six seconds, so there we go. It's there. Uh, Alistair Begg did a series on this text that we're in, and it went weeks. Now, he did a whole introduction that took the allotted time that he had for one message. He just introduced these six verses. Now you'll look at your outline and you'll see six verses there that are outlined. And I intend to stay that way. But I do want to take some things that he had. He had 11 foundational biblical truths about wealth. I'm going to say that again. 11 foundational biblical truths about wealth. You want to know what those are? Usually I put them in your outline. I didn't put them there this time because I knew I was going to run out of space. So you know what you have to do? I see Bob there and he has a pen and he's going like this. You're going to have to write these down. (laughs) Very good, Bob. You just illustrated that exactly. Uh, Or you can do this. If you don't want to write them down, I want you to memorize them. And then at the end of the message, I'm going to come up and ask you what those 11 are. <laughs> oh, I didn't get a smile or a laugh out of that. I don't usually do that. A pop quiz today. <laughs> but these, you know, they, they do help us. They remind us of uh, what it is. By the way, Emily is practicing her new job. And she actually got called in. She said she's going to be uh, available every Sunday unless she's on, she's on call, though, on Sundays. She did her own call and she is now with us until they call her back. <laughs> not, not anymore today, right? <laughs> anyway, good to have you, Emily. This is really cool. You, you can be with us mostly every week. Lord willing. Lord willing. That's what we said last week, right? Okay, are you ready for these 11 foundational biblical truths about wealth? And we could actually stop right there at the end of 11 of them and have really a 10-minute message and be done. Would you guys like to do that? Or would you like to get into the text and see what it is? Yeah, okay. I, I had two. So, okay. Here's the first one. And, and I'll repeat it or you can get it the next time. The Bible doesn't cast any aspiration or suspicion on riches per se. Now, that's a lot of words there. But he's saying the Bible doesn't have any kind of aspiration or riches per se. Aspiration on the riches, right? Okay. It doesn't say that it is wrong to have riches and wealth. I mean, real wealth. doesn't really say that in Scripture. So that's a good place to start. Matter of fact, you can think of who some of the rich men are in the Bible, and Job happened to be one of them. God took it from him and then blessed him even double. (laughs) Abraham was a rich man with servants and such. You can go on and on. Many, many of them were. And of course, the, the background of Moses and where he came from. Um, so, the, the Bible doesn't cast any aspiration or suspicion on riches per se. Um, number two, the Bible warns against the vices which are the snares of the rich. When you have a lot of money, there are also snares that can come along. In First Timothy 6, we don't have time to go there, but there's a whole message in there. But First Timothy 6 talks about the rich men, even in the, the local body there. Watch out. Watch out for the snares, though. Number three, and this is real easy, contentment. I just put one word there. Contentment. That's easy, isn't it? Whatever you have, what's the answer? Be content. 
That's where God has put you. That's what you have. Be content with who you are in Christ. Number four, riches are an expression of God's kindness. Riches are an expression of God's kindness. (coughs) He illustrates how kind He is by giving us what we need. You ever thought of that? He is very kind. We don't deserve anything, right? How are you doing? Better than I deserve. (laughs) Right? Number five, you cannot trust in riches. You cannot trust in riches. Only God. That's all we can trust. Number six, we know that Jesus says it is difficult but not impossible to get into heaven when you have riches. It's very difficult. Matter of fact, to man it is impossible. But to God, He can save people. But He can save the rich. When you have money, you don't need a lot of things. When you have all you, all you need and all you want, that's where people don't really need God. So they think. Number seven, God hasn't ordained an equal quantity of wealth. God is a God of diversity. He's made some have a lot more money than others, but they're held more responsible. Some have less money than others, and some have less than the ones who have less, and then some have less, 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 and on down the line. There's not an equality there, and people will say, well, that's not fair. Well, see, God doesn't have to give us anything, and that goes back to our other one. God is so kind to give us anything, because we don't deserve anything. Isn't it amazing that God does do that? He hasn't ordained an equal quantity. Number eight, God has a concern for the poor. There are going to be the poor. The poor have always been with us, Jesus said, but He has a concern. How many times have we seen it in James where God is concerned for the poor? Constantly He's mentioning that. All throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, same thing. God has concern for the poor. So that takes us to number eight. What do you think that would be? God expects His people to have a concern for the poor. And so that's how He gives to the poor. He gives it through His people to give to the poor, even though they don't deserve it. Because we're giving something that we didn't deserve and we're passing it on to others that don't deserve anything. Number 11, God... Number 10? Oh, okay, 10, I'm sorry. God's judgment falls on people who oppress the poor, who do not take care of the poor, not concerned for the poor, or really make it hard for the poor. God's judgment falls on people who oppress the poor. He will do that. We'll see that. A lot of these principles are right in our text today. And number 11, it is sinful to show favoritism on the basis of financial status. It is sinful to show favoritism. Favoritism is the key word. On the basis of financial status. If somebody has riches and people know them, they are rich, then they invite them to come down to the front. Right? James has talked about that in chapter chapter 2. He mentioned favoritism. 
So we've seen some of these things in action. Those are some basic foundational truths. I'm sure there are many other ones. But those are things that we can kind of hang, uh, hang our hat on a little bit, that we can grasp this in a very short length of time. Now, I'm not going to arrange my outline around that. I'll take it to less points. That's point number one right there. And it's kind of an introduction, actually. Why don't we uh, grab our Bibles? If you haven't got them open already, let's, uh, let's stand. Let's read God's holy word. And let's hear Him speak. We, we heard that psalm this morning. Let's hear Him speak to each one of us because I believe God has a message for you. For you, He is speaking right here today. Each one of you. I can guarantee you. He speaks through His Word. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. And even though we find a text here that's really maybe kind of hard for us to relate to, at the same time, I pray that when we're done here today that we can see how it does relate to each one of us. And that we would be saying, take my life and let it be. Take my silver and my gold, as the verse said. Whatever it is, Lord, you take it. It's yours. Take my life, let it be. Consecrated to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Alright. We uh, come to verse 1. We go right to God's Word. right? And what we do here is we just do expository teaching. And when you read the Bible, I hope it's expository. You guys should do the same thing. As you read, you, you break it apart if you don't understand it and start taking just one word at a time. And just, you know, think and dwell on it a little bit. He says, come now you rich. Now, now to whom is this directed to? Well, first of all, it's the rich. And I don't think there's anybody here that would really say that they are rich. I mean, really rich with a lot of money. I'm talking seven figures, right? I don't think anybody here would say that. And first of all, I, I think that he would be talking in the context to wealthy people who were in the congregation who were very rich. They had a lot. A lot of possessions. And maybe many of them were not Christians. Remember, James addresses this is all a test, a trial. A big test to see if they're really Christians. If you don't manage your money right, it's going to show you're not managing your life right, your obedience right. You are held responsible for what the biggest thing that He gives you. And that is your money. Have you ever thought of that? What a responsible position that He's given every one of us. So it could be wealthy people who are not Christians. It also could be wealthy people who are 
not in the church, who are outside of the church. Like, yeah, yeah, those evil, rich people. And it, it seems like a, James is addressing them for sure. And some that are in the church especially because it's, it's, this is to the church. Come now you, you rich weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. See, that's like an Old Testament prophet, isn't it? And I mean, he's lambasting right in this. He knew what was going on. So it could be Jews, Gentiles. They could be unbelievers posing as believers. Or they could be believers even, couldn't they? They could be believers. And they could even be people today who are people like us who do not consider ourselves to be rich, never have been, never will be, wouldn't mind a little bit more. And guess what? That puts us all into the ballpark now. We are all held responsible for this. Of course, we'll try to treat this as the text is there, but yet at the same time, we don't want to take ourselves outside of this. Um, We don't want to excuse ourselves. We can say, yeah, yeah, see those terrible rich people? Right? Um, I, I want to tell you that we live in the wealthiest nation in the world. I want you to think on that for a second. This is the wealthiest nation in the world. Still yet. We live in the wealthiest nation in the world in the history of the world. Oh, wow. We've really broken it down now. In the history of the world, we are the wealthiest nation ever. In terms of people having the houses that they have and the quality and the way they live. You don't have to have seven figures. You don't have to have six figures. You have five figures, you can have less than that. That's that's getting into a a poverty aspect uh, in some senses if we keep luring it down. But I want to tell you, we are among the wealthiest Christians who have ever walked this planet. Have you ever thought about that? No society has ever had what we possess. Now that is amazing. But I do want to tell you, we are held more responsible than anybody ever. The Christians have access to so many things of how they can do and how they can give. They have access to almost any book that you want to get. Stuff that was even written hundreds of years ago is now made available in the last 20 years. I saw this happening when I was at a bookstore and I was just amazed what you could get. As a matter of fact, get online for free. And that can put one out of business. But that's okay, because now it's available to most people. But you know what? Most people don't use it, because they have so many things to do. I know. Now, what I want you to do is think about now the potential of the famines that happen. And, and I, I, um, you know, I, we have a brother here from Nigeria. And I think he would attest to the fact that in certain places in Africa, people don't know where they're going to get their next meal. Would I be right in that? That can be anywhere, but in in a lot of places, they are hungry. Are people starving? Uh, I've heard figures of, of millions dying because of that. We need to remember in a global perspective Think of what you have in comparison to the rest of the world. Then start thinking about something that hits really home. Start thinking, compare it to your parents. 
you possibly have it a little bit easier than what your parents had when they grew up. The people in their 50s and 60s can really identify with that because things did start happening in the 60s and 70s that was more available than ever before. But think about your grandparents. If you can't identify with your parents, think about your grandparents. You have a lot more available to you than they ever had. Let's take it a step further. Do you know anything about your great-grandparents? And if you do, think about what they went through. And some of these have gone through the Great Depression and other things, or even go further back than that. Depends on how old you are. So James' words are not for everybody else. We're going to look at this and let James speak to us too. They're for us. Let's don't excuse ourselves. I want to tell you this, three words. And you don't see yourself as this. And like I say, it's relative. But we are rich. And I don't ever think that. I really don't. Sometimes, you know, when you're struggling a little bit. I've gone through it. And there are other times where God just seems like He's just overflowed. And other times you're challenged by the bills. You wonder about, well, what about tomorrow? I mean, literally tomorrow. I know. I know some of you here that have dealt with that. Could be dealing with right now. So I, I take the seriousness of that. But I will say, every, there is a man by the name of Ralph Davis and he shared this story. He says that every time he takes out the trash twice a week to his, to his garbage, he's reminded of the bounty of God. In other words, God has given him so much that twice a week he has to throw out stuff. Otherwise, it's going to start building up in the house. You know, we take plastic and just throw it out. Paper, we just throw it out. There are people that would literally almost die for some of that plastic, some of that paper, you know, some of the, the food that we just threw out. We didn't quite clean our plate. You know. Oh, now we're, now we're hitting low, right? When I start considering taking out the trash and what I throw away and stuff like wood and stuff like that that I don't know, and I know what's going to happen. It's just going to build up in the house. I moved two years ago. You guys, you know, I, when I moved and then a lot of you helped us move and you knew how much stuff we had. Well, before that, we had been throwing a lot of stuff away because we lived in a house for 30 years. <laughs> stuff really builds up. Over 30 years. Right, Janice? <laughs> you made a move after being in a place in a while. It just just keeps stacking up. So, you know, sometimes there's stuff you have to throw away. Sometimes you'd like to just give it to some people who have a need. It's, it's still good, you know. But uh, James is saying, what really matters is this, our attitude towards the use of money. It's a major, and I want to emphasize this, a major indicator of your Christianity, my Christianity. What are we doing for what God has given us? Now, here's what he says to them. Come now, you rich. You know what he's saying when he says, come now? We haven't even hit on that yet, have we? Listen to me. Now, he's done that before. Back in verse 13, <laughs> I think we dealt with that before, right? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such a... He, was, he started with the rich. He said, well, how did we get this in chapter 5? But according to what had been there before. He's talking about the ones who were rich and making plans and what they were going to do with this money. They were going to get rich. I mean, these are the high rollers. 
So you can say the context starts with that. But you can say, yeah, but I need a message for me today. Be encouraged. God has blessed you incredibly. We sometimes miss it, don't we? That's why we have Thanksgiving. <laughs> Make sure we don't forget. Now listen to me, he says. He's talking about the, there's a judgment of God coming. And I think right here he is speaking to you know unbelievers. When he says, weep and howl. Your miseries are coming. And of course this is going to lead, it's leading to hell. He's talking about judgment here is where this is about. He says, you need to have an overwhelming grief. And I said, well, Dennis, I don't, what do you mean? He says, weep and howl. Well, how, how does that really affect me? Well, here he's talking about two words here. And these two words mean an uncontrollable grief. You really need to be mournful. You need to be weeping and howling. James knew what kind of language he's using, right? As he puts forth this Greek, it comes out and it's, a, it's, a, it's jolting. He's saying, I want you to lament. I want you to really be sorry. You, you're misusing wealth. And you know what he's implying here? Repentance. He's calling, there's a call here. I think it's a call to salvation. Because their salvation was what they had. So he's, he's considering our use of wealth in light of the judgment that is coming. Well, if you're a Christian, your sins have been judged. You still will be held accountable for what you've done with this life. But it's not before the great white throne judgment where you're going to be judged for your sins. But in light of the final judgment of what God is going to do to those people who were rich and they abused it. Final judgment. So he anticipates there's going to be a bitter wailing. If they're not doing it here now, pay me now or pay me later. Was that a Midas commercial or something like that? Some muffler commercial. Weep and howl. Uh, It pictures a perpetual grief. Miseries that they face. The word in the Greek for weep is kleosite. It means to cry out loud. It's like people who are very mournful and taking something seriously. They're crying out loud. Weep and wail. The word for wail is alaluzo. And it means to shriek. It means to scream. It means to howl out loud. I mean, this is really... That's what he's saying. I want you to really be sad over this because they're an ultimate misery that's going to happen to you. In 70 AD, there was going to be Ten years from the time that James wrote, there was going to be the besieging of Romans, Titus, the ruler, uh, 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 the military leader, would oppress uh, Jerusalem. Uh, He would plunder the rich. The first targets would be the rich. He would take their wealth. James could have been pointing to an earthly misery that would happen within a decade. But I think it's pointing to something even much further than just the temporary happenings here. This is what's looming for the rich who are not trusting in Christ. They face the Creator as the judge. That's what they're going to face. Their wealth, they will find out, will not buy their way into heaven. There's a divine punishment. 
for the abuse of riches by them. So quite the judgment. This is James. This is not Dennis. You say, here, pick it up. You just pick this message out. We're just going long through the book of James. That's all we do. And we just let James speak, right? And actually, you know, there would be a lot of passages that I really wouldn't cover because I would like to carry the upbeat messages and make everybody feel good. And, you know, by God's grace, we do. But at the same time, there's a reality in all this. And, and we should be weeping and wailing and mourning for the lost, shouldn't we? That they would come to their senses. Now, that's verse 1. Yeah, believe it or not, verse 1. Okay. We're going to go to verse 2 and 3. Now, this is addressed as point number 3, the folly of hoarding. In verses 2 and 3, it's all about hoarding. Hoarding riches. Your riches have rotted. That's one kind of wealth. Your garment, and we'll explain that, your garments have become moth-eaten. So riches, garments, verse 3 and number 3, your gold and your silver have rusted. Now, that's how they measured their wealth at that time. And you say, well, what's the riches here? Food. And I'll explain that. It's food, it's clothing, gold and silver. Now, you have to have food to live. And of course, water. You have to have clothing, don't you? Shelter. Those things we have to have to get by. And keep that in mind. Because think about what God provides you constantly. My. Okay, what can happen in the times that we live in? A person can have so much. Yes, so much that... And I'm not using this as an illustration. I am really thirsty. I am dry today. I took some claret and D. And it dries you out. People can have so much they can't even get around to using what they have. That's right. You can have stuff and never ever use it. Uh, Food. That can happen. Clothes. They end up being either moth-eaten or whatever. They just sit there and rot. Right, just rot. And even their gold or silver can even tarnish or the valuables that they have. He's speaking about the hoarding of wealth. He says, I don't see the word hoarding. Well, it's there. Uh, if you keep reading in our context, read at the end of verse 3, he says, you have stored up your treasure. Stored up your treasure. That's all one Greek word. In the original Greek, it's one word. Store up your treasure. Hoarding there is an interesting word. It's thesaurus. He said, I've heard of one of those before. It's kind of like a dictionary, right? Kind of. It's a treasury of words. A thesaurus. Yeah, back in the third grade, I think I remember hearing something about a thesaurus. I don't have one in my library. Probably good to have. But this is talking about a treasure of things. All stuff. It's a treasure. Or in this sense, in the context that James is talking about, storing up our little treasures. We tend to store them up. Rich people had so much stuff that it was rotting in storage. And the first thing we're going to address is food. What 
good is food that are put in the silos full of grain and they just sit there. And then one goes with a cup to pick up some of that grain that hasn't been touched for years. It's spoiled. Rats have been eating it. It's full of mold. They stored it up though because, you know, they stored it up. Because they're planning, you know, these things. I won't have to do anything one of these days. They stored it up. <laughs> Remember the uh, the wealthy man that was um, that Jesus spoke about in the book of Luke. He stored his grain in these barns. Remember that? I'll build bigger barns and all that. He stored them in, in there because he says, after I do that, I'll take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now that sounds good. Hey. Don't have to do anything from here on out. It's all done. It's taken care of. I'll never have to move my fingers again if I so not desire. I have amassed enough grain to sustain me for food for a lifetime. And even sell everything else that I need. In those days, basically, wealth was stored in three commodities. And, of course, food uh, we start with. And then, of course... uh, we see here clothes. That was a mark of wealth. And also then the, the coins, the, the money that we think of. He says here, riches. Your riches have rotted. You, uh, rich, uh, riches here is Plutos. And it's really dealing with uh, one of the Greek gods. And it's transliterated in here. It's a name that which uh, means it's yielded from the abundance of the earth. The rich. Yielded from the abundance of the earth. That's why... This would be considered uh, the food, uh, the vegetables and such. So James attacks what they're doing with the food. It's corrupted. It's rotted. Rather than using the wealth of food to take care of yourself, your family, and then others, and to give to the Lord's work, right? Using the money to support the ministry that they really should be involved with, hoarded, is the idea it's useless. It's just sitting there. And that's what James is saying in in this context. Now, the second area of wealth is clothing. See, I've been dealing with this all week. (laughs) And you start really breaking it down and you go, my Lord, uh, you are really, really hit me here. I have a closet that's bigger than I've ever had before. I, I'm not kidding you. I've never had a closet this big. It's actually my closet. <laughs> because Carolyn doesn't put her clothes there. It's my. Sometimes it starts smelling. You know, <laughs> wear a shirt a day and then put it, got the laundry there. But it's a, it, you know, to me it's a big closet. To other people it may not be. But to me, I go back to whenever I was a kid, there were, were um, the days where I didn't even have a closet. You know, you had a, was a cedar chest, you know, clothes were put there. And then we moved, and we moved to Jeff City, and I'm, I'm a teenager, and I actually had a place where I could put my clothes, kind of. And then... Uh, I was single and went. To, I had a house where I could I could put my clothes and you know, a little bit of closet there. And went to another house and and you know you share closet when you're married. And another house we kind of shared and 
It was a little bit bigger than the last one. And it wasn't that we bought a house because we could have bigger closets. But it's amazing. <laughs> and this is a, really, a, it's, an, it's an older house in that it, it, it was not built in the 90s or the 80s. You know, it was built in the 70s. But they built things bigger, started to build in the 70s more than they did in the 60s, and especially in the 50s. If you see houses in the 50s, they have these little bitty tiny closets. For the most part, that's the way it is. That's the way they build them in the 60s, same way. We lived at our house, and I grew up with my parents. It's just a little, little bitty, not even a room. It's a place you put them there, and you jam them in there. But in the 70s, they started expanding. Well, mine now, they have these huge closets. You just walk in. You know, I mean, you, a walk-in closet. You can, matter of fact, those rooms are bigger than the rooms that I grew up in. <laughs> Some of them are bigger than the houses. <laughs> and you've heard about that. Well, what's going on there? Well, they're, they're storing up their wealth. You know, my closet right now is full. I, I'll be honest with you, I feel really guilty. I actually have two closets. Uh, come on. <laughs> is there another place I put <laughs> So, you know, I'm not coming at you guys. Guess who I'm ripping here? That's right. I, I actually have three closets. What's going on there? Well, my closet's full. It's because I have a lot of stuff. Have you ever wondered why we say that we are rich? Where did the people put their clothes before back in the 50s and the 60s? <laughs> they probably didn't have as much clothes. Because they didn't have quite amount, the amount of money that we have today to do that with, or the accessibility. They didn't have enough uh, as many stores as we have, the malls and the strip malls and everything, right? And I'm not condemning you know, getting clothes. Don't, don't take any of this wrong, okay? I'm just saying, I'm proving that we are really rich because back then, if you had more than one change of clothes, if you had two, you're doing pretty good. You have three chains of clothes. You are rich. People judge that. That's why he says, you know, your clothes, what are they doing? Your garments have become moth-eaten. They had too much stuff. They, they hoarded it. Four, five, six changes of clothes. Ten changes of clothes. I bet you every one of us here has more than ten changes of clothes. Wow. Okay. Uh, are we getting an idea that maybe we are kind of rich? Um, he goes to the next one, verse 3. This is the, the third area of wealth that we hoard. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you. And will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Now remember, first of all, we address what, who I first think that he's really aiming at, the ones who are not Christians that are sitting there claiming to be Christians, but... Their life is all about their money, all about their wealth. Okay, But I also say, this is how this also hits us. Rather than using their wealth to take care of the family, to give to the Lord's work, to give for the gospel, for the people that are lost to hear the good news, they've amassed it to themselves. Because you never know what we might run into later. Food was decayed. Garments became moth-eaten. 
And the gold and the silver back at that time, you can say, well, I've never seen gold rust. What are we talking about here? But they used the gold and silver that actually was mixed with an alloy in their coins, and that was subject to corrosion. And that's probably what James is talking of there. But when you think of coins, you think of real literal money, right? And so he warns that everything they have or they have put their trust in is useless if they're not Christians. The grain is decayed. The clothes are are moth-eaten. The coins are rusted. What do you have now? You have the judgment that is waiting. Uh, People become indifferent to the poor, the needy. They don't really care if they help or uh, not. They're indifferent to the poor. Uh, We are to be investing in the kingdom. This is God's word on wealth and money and riches. And it speaks to Christians too, doesn't it? We should be investing to the kingdom because if you are, you know what? That's eternal. And yes, your money is eternal in that sense. You're not going to take it to heaven. With you. You're not going to be putting it in you know, the, uh, your BMW that you're buried with and you go to heaven and you drive that thing around. There are not going to be cars. You won't need any cars. You won't need that kind of money. Um, I mean, this, you know, there will not be sin there, can you? Okay, that's great to think about that, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. You have everything you need, don't you? She said this morning, say, well, yeah, but you don't know my circumstance right now. I know. Uh, but you've been given air, you've been given water, you've had food, and it's starving to death. Not eating out of the trash heap. I hope not. And if you are, somebody needs to know. We've amassed, we've uh, hoarded our wealth literally in these last days. Eschaton. They should have the thought before their minds, even at James' time, in these last days, the, the, the days after Christ. However long that is. Or the last days that you live here on this earth be investing into the kingdom you know how the best way to invest into the kingdom with your money give to the local church and I say that not to you know say hey give to Dennis this is not about giving to Dennis okay you are giving to God I'm saying we're giving to this church so this church can keep functioning and that it can minister and reach out. Trust that once you've given what you know to be given there, then you reach out to others. It starts in the local church. Make your collection there. That's what it's about. That's biblical. And how, how often do you hear me speak about money? Somebody can say, there he goes. I knew the pastor is going to be talking about money. Guilty. I feel guilty in that I very rarely have ever talked about money. And when it is, it's in the context. So be thinking, you first put your money into what your main ministry is. This being the local church, this is where you put what God has invested in you so that you can invest in others. And it's really about giving out to um, other ministries. It's being able to pay. That's everything here. Uh, We had a really good question. Carolyn had a very good question from Malachi. Um, justice uh, about three weeks ago two weeks ago 
and he, and he had some money that, that he found in the car. And he wanted to give everything that he found, he wanted to give to the offering. But he had this legitimate question. I think this is very legitimate. Well, what happens with that money when, when I give it? That's good. Where does it go? He was thinking, wasn't he? And so she began to say, well, first of all, it goes for this building that we meet here. Uh, we think of, you know, of course, uh, we, we have light, uh, electricity. We have things that, that we do here. It, you know, that's the main thing is that we can have a place to do that. If we don't have people giving in that, eventually we get to the point where we don't have a building to meet. Uh, there's food out there, uh, snacks or whatever. There's coffee, there's, you know, all those drinks. We have the Lord's Supper. Uh, I know sometimes people give, just bring the, the juice here or uh, the what we use for the, the unleavened bread and, and sometimes they give on their own. Uh, I'm not tr- and my point here is not to feel guilty. I'm just saying, how can we put this into application? Um, when we amass and hoard our wealth for ourselves and never give to God, or we say, I'd rather give to this ministry out here, I think that ministry, if it's legitimate, would say, first, you are committed to your local church, but give to us too. Okay, because we need to find, we need to be filtering that out to others. We don't want to hoard it as a church. If we have so much sitting here, which in the past sometimes there have been, we had a lot of money and we started looking for sources that we could do it. But if we don't have the money there, you don't really look for it. It's always there. And if we can help, we do. But if we can't, if we don't have it, and we, you know, then we can't do that. So I just want you to to know those things to be thinking about that. Your money is a witness for you or against you because it will rust. If you have it sitting back, it it actually is rusting. It's not doing you right. It's for the winning of the lost. You say, well, how much do I give? I don't know how much to give. You know what? That's between you and the Lord. And you have to really pray about that. And if you're in a situation where you can't even give, you can't give. Okay? If you're in a situation that you can give just a little bit, say, well, I, if you're in a situation where you can say, well, I'd like to start giving, I don't know where, can, can you start with a, a 10%, a tithing? And that's not a legal matter. It's can you start with that? Would you feel good with that if you could? God will bless that. If you can give more, you give more. I'm putting this out because I'm not saying give it here because you know the health, wealth, gospel and how they're always talking money and give here. And, and I'll promise you, you'll have, uh, that'll, you know, Tenfold, your money will multiply. I'm not saying that. But God can bless that, and He does. He does do that. You know, you can't outgive God. But a lot of times, sometimes it's it's different ways that He will bless that. I don't know. So that's my spiel about the local church, and that's where it comes into Grace Community Church. That's it, it goes right now, and there's some of it that goes to the pastor. And and you guys are blessed on that. I, and I never, you know, I don't even want to focus on that. That's not what I'm about. I, I have another job. And it's it's helped us to continue on this ministry. We've been able to survive down through the years. There have been some lean times. There have been some times where we were kind of scared what's going to happen if we don't have the money to, to pay for this. But then most of the time it's been the other way around. And so, you know... Um, 
we want to make use of that and we have the opportunity to do it here, then, then the church is responsible and all of us are responsible to say, hey, there's a ministry that needs to be given. Or here's a person that is in really deep need. And we've done that several times. Somebody that was really hurting and they needed something taken care of them. That's happened over and over and over. We have done that. I'm not saying you haven't done it. There's no guilt even implied there. But if, if there is, then maybe the Lord is speaking to you and saying, perhaps I need to look at this. Okay, he's saying don't stash your stuff. Use it for the kingdom. If it's sitting, you haven't used it for a long time and it's something somebody could use, get rid of it. Get it out of there. Get, get it to somebody who can use it. Or if it's turned to rotten trash or it's something that can't be used or it's old food, don't give it to anybody. If it's rotten and stuff, you know, right? I, you know, and if your money has gotten rusted, well, clean it off. And, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, now it goes into verse 4, and this is our fourth one. Behold. Check this out. Examine it. Look at this. Here's what's happening. You're not going to believe this. That's what James is saying. The pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sebio. Now, I don't know how many here really own a business and are paying others and, you know, and, and failing to pay the people that, they, um, that have worked for them. It probably doesn't apply to any of us here. Um, so how, how does it work for us? Well, make sure that you don't cheat people out of money, right? And that's, that's what he's Defrauding is the idea. The word is they withheld. They withheld paying them. Afustereo. And it means to, uh, to hold back, to defraud, to not give them the money that's their due. It's talking about day laborers back at that time. Here's the context. You have a wealthy owner, a landowner, and there are people who line up each day. They work one day. They don't know whether what they're going to do tomorrow. They may work. They may not. They get there early. They line up. They need money for food, for bread. Some are taken. Some are not. Maybe one day all of them are taken. But they sure expect that money at the end of the day. So they got paid for what they did during the day at that time. If you didn't get money and you were counting on that, you worked and now you don't have it to buy the bread for the family and they're going to starve again. That is what was happening. Can you see why James was so angry? Would you be angry at that? And I think all of us have probably been defrauded somewhere along, along the line or, or know people who have where they've worked and not paid for it. I, I know some people here. That has happened. Or it was paid much, much later when they needed it then. God will hold those people responsible. And for the, they didn't pay or paid late, held it back. That's a shame. That's a real rotten shame, isn't it? Uh, you, you see this in the Old Testament in Leviticus 19.13. In the law, it is first given. But they don't do that. You know, the things in the law are, are good things, aren't they? Really. There are ceremonial things and such that uh, we, uh, 
don't deal with today. I'm still turning Leviticus. Have you guys all turned there before? 19.13 says, You shall not oppress your neighbor nor to rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. He says, don't you pay them the next day. What is he saying? Pay them now. In our sense, don't, don't pay them like months later or weeks later when they're supposed to be paid. They have a you know, on the calendar. That's the idea. Well, that's found in Leviticus. You'll find it in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Jeremiah 22:13, Malachi 3:5. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, here's the story that I was relating to. It's a parable. Jesus is speaking this, and he puts it down into terms that they can understand. This is what was happening back then, though. It's a parable, but yet it is real. Can you imagine somebody not paying, withholding money back when they could pay them and let them starve? Is there anybody here with that kind of thought? I don't think so. I don't see that at all. But in case there is. (laughs) Verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out, there's twelve hours, and now it's at the eleventh hour already, and found others standing around. They, they wanted to work, but there's only an hour left. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. This is incredible here. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received an areas. Hmm. Really good. Pay. This is for a day's wage. I worked one hour. Thank you very much. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more now. What were they agreed upon? The Darius. They thought, oh, okay, they worked one hour. Guess what we're going to get? <laughs> Look what we deserve. This is about grace and mercy, folks. This is really about salvation. But we can see how what was happening back in those days, too, how people treated others. They thought they would receive more, but each of them also received an denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours, go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. He needs it as much as you. It is... Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? You know what? That's what God says. We may think everything has to be equal and fair in our terminology. And God says, I can do whatever I want. Or is your eye envious because I am generous? You ought to be glad because these people receive this. They need this like you needed it. So the last should be first and the first last. Wow! Does that go against the grain? Well, if we had somebody getting more or as much as us and they only worked an hour during the day and they get to go home, 
You say, boy, that's not fair. You say, hey, this is what you agree upon with what you're getting. Don't be concerned about what they have. And matter of fact, you ought to be glad that they're getting because they need it. Anyway, cheating people out of money to withhold it. It's hard to believe that. That's why he says, behold. Behold. It's almost inconceivable that anybody would treat them this way. But does it happen today? Yes, it does. Right here in America and right here in Jefferson City, Missouri, it happens. It happens to people that you would not believe it happens to. People you would know. So he says, back in James now, we're back in James chapter 5, verse 4, right? As we move along, we're getting closer to the end of this today. The pay, they mowed, did the field work, whatever, which has been withheld by you, cries out against you, you rich. It cries out. The word there is like screaming. The money that you withheld is screaming against you. Matter of fact, that word, I don't have time, but it's found in the Gospels where you have a demon inside of an individual and they're expelled. But the demons are crying out. You know, there's a voice coming out of this person and it's actually coming from the demons. James is saying the wages themselves are crying out to God because of this action. And then he gets real serious about it. It has reached the ears of not just God, but the Lord of Sabaoth. Wow, James. He's reaching back to the Old Testament. This is judgment. You know what Sabaoth means? The Lord of hosts. More defined, the Lord of armies. You know who His armies are? The angels in heaven. He's going to use angels. The Almighty Commander of the universe is going to use the host of heaven to judge these people. He's going to use them. He's going to step out in judgment and he's going to come, when He comes back, He's going to use His army. You know what? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, here it is says it right here. When Christ comes back, this is what's going to be happening. Don't be surprised if you see this. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in His second coming, with His mighty angels in flaming fire. Can you imagine this scene? This is going to be incredible. I think we'll probably see this. What's He going to do when He comes back? Dealing out retribution, these angels are, to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Christians... That's comfort. Are you afflicted now? Well, here's what God is going to do. He will make it right. And He will use these angels. The Lord of Sabaoth. He's the Lord of armies. Let's go into verse 5. That's time is really closing in on us now. Um, James 5, 5. 
you have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of, here we go, wanton pleasure and have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Boy, James, you are graphic. Can you see the pictures in all of this? What he, do, he just paints it out there for everybody to see. Luxuriously. You know what the word luxuriously there is? It's trufao. If you see it on your outline, it'll say softness. You live really well in your softness. You remember the story of the rich man, Lazarus? Luke 16. Don't have time to go there. Uh, it may be behind James' words here. He might be thinking of this. You know, James, half-brother of our Lord, right? The rich man lived in splendor. He's now in Hades. Lazarus has died also. And this is not the Lazarus that we know of that was resurrected. I think this is another Lazarus. But he was covered with sores at one time when he lived on earth. He longed to be fed with the crumbs from the rich man's table. Lazarus wound up. The roles are reversed. And as they both have died, Lazarus is living comfortably in Abraham's bosom. He's in the presence of him. And there you have the rich man on the other side of Hades. The Bible is clear that uh, there are godly rich people and there are ungodly poor people. Right? So just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're not saved. Matter of fact, you can be. And just because you're poor doesn't mean you're saved, right? Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But there's a rich man here who was self-indulgent, had a lack of compassion for the poor, and that reflected his very godless, selfish life. And the day of judgment is coming. He says this, you fattened your hearts. The word there is associated with fattening themselves up like uh, cattle. You, you know, today they, they fatten cattle up before they butcher them, right? We've heard of that. Uh, and that's a good thing. They're not skinny. You know, they actually have food in them. But um, unreasoning cattle, they'll go on fattening themselves up. They get a chance with no thought of others. Selfish lifestyle, incurring greater guilt. Wanton pleasure, out of control. They can't. They can't uh, restrain themselves. It's talking about denying ourselves, taking up the cross, following Him. It's talking about that song that we sang. Um, you know, right at the last, there. All to Him I owe. Jesus paid it all. And then the song that uh, before that, dealing with I give you everything. You know, my my hands, my voice, uh, everything. I my money. You know. What have we given up? What have we denied ourselves? What, what do we refrain from? If our spending and our Christian giving does not have a component of self-denial, there should be some sense where it's showing that we're denying self. We're sinning. If we're not giving to our local church, we're sinning. We're fattened. It's used of an animal. Fattening up calves, right? Fatten our hearts. We've indulged ourselves to the limit, right? And he says a day of slaughter. What's a day of slaughter? Day of judgment again. He keeps bringing this forward. The killing of animals. Same way they kill them today. You know, back then they, they would slit their throats. You're just like a fatted cow headed to have your throat slit. Very, very vivid language. That's what he's speaking to these particular people coming into this judgment. And verse 6 is our last one. We close with this one. You have condemned 
and put to death the righteous man, he does not resist you. What's going on here? It's the really the language of a wrongful judicial murder. Now that could actually be putting somebody to death that was innocent. Um, James uses so many illustrations. He uses Jesus' life. He uses Jesus' parables. And what's behind it? You can think of the man named Judas who hurt the innocent for the sake of profit. 30 pieces of silver. Uh, A righteous man, right? And Judas was paid for turning him over. James is condemning this kind of grasp or use of wealth. Uh, the the implication here is kata decadzo, it's passing sentence upon. It may not necessarily be a murder physically, but it can be a condemnation of them. They're used in the courts. There has been a murder in the courts in what was happening with the rich versus the poor. And they were taking whatever they could get out of them. And uh, I think in chapter 2, verse 6, says, you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? That's what they were doing. James knew that. He's already said that's what's happening. Can you imagine that? These are the righteous people. The ones who are innocent. The ones who are righteous. They are believers. I'm going to tie this up right up. I don't have time to get a lot of um, application here because I think all along through here we have been given application, haven't we? We want to use every resource for the sake of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. We want to use the resources so God will give us more resources so that we can take them through. We're channels. He gives it to us, we give it right back on out. We start with ourselves and our family. You first have to take care of them. You first have to feed them or we're worse than an infidel. Right? And and that's where it starts, but then it goes to the church, then it goes to the other ministries, and it floods on out. The gospel is to be gotten out, and that's really what we're here about. Besides worshiping God, then we're also to be inviting people. Sometimes it takes tracts, sometimes it takes books, sometimes it takes CDs, videos, whatever it takes. I'm willing to give it because I want to see those people come to Christ, or I want to see these people grow in Christ. They're in Christ. Here, would you take this? And if you give it back, fine. But if you don't, fine too. That's okay. Uh, Just help it grow, brother. That's what we're about. That's what we do. May God give us grace to respond to His message with both generosity and prudence. Father, help us with generosity, wisdom, prudence, using it wisely. It's something you've given us. It's all yours. May it blossom in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.